We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Welcome back to your go-to Pacers podcast, and the boy is back. Not only the boy, but the birthday boy, Michael hey. J. Fonchi, is in the house. Happy, happy, what is it, 32nd birthday to you? Celebrating 30 your second. I, I am leaving my Reggie Miller year, and, uh, you know, I'm not hanging it up by any means, but uh, saying uh, goodbye to good old 3-1. Going to 32, are we, are we are we doing this the Dell Davis year, C.J. Watson year, or maybe we even go a little bit different with another 32 out there? Al Harrington when he wore 32 for a little bit. I loved me some big Al back in the day. I know that could be Al Jefferson or whatever you Baby want to call it. I'm not big Al. I guess, yeah, I guess anyone with Al could be referred to as like a big Al, whatever it is. I love me some um, Al Harrington, two-time pacer over there. And I, I'm not going to say C.J. Watson. You had C.J. Watson on the show, great guy. But I just remember being like, if you could have played with anybody, who would it be? And he was just like. CJ Watson, man, I couldn't recruit guys to to teams. I was like, just play along with it, like, yeah. you know. So I, I guess I'd go uh, Al Harrington in that situation over Dale Davis. I'm a little bit surprised. I mean, Dale Davis, two time pacer as well, and I guess I'll, okay. I'll flip flop. Here's what I'll say. I'll flip flop. I'm gonna go Dale Davis because Dale Davis is what got us Jermaine O'Neal. So there you go. In that situation. I'm definitely going Dale Davis. Shout out to Dale because Jermaine, my favorite player of all time. There we go. I think that's a fair way to put it, Fachi. So obviously you weren't here to recap the in-season tournament game with that us. That one then, hurt to miss. Yeah. And then Daniel Tice was also away while you were away. So a lot, a lot happened while you were gone. Um, we're going to have Rob Mahoney come on. with. I'm doing a solo uh, section with him on the podcast, talking to him about his article. And then we also have our Fan of the Weeks coming up too. But wanted to get your thoughts, number one, on Daniel Tice being waived by the team, getting bought out. Um, we can talk quickly about that extra roster spot. Now what we should do with it. And then after that, let's talk about that 76ers game. So talk to me about your guy, Tice. You've been wanting to get rid of him since the day we got him. And finally the Pacers just kicked him to the curb. 
it, it was never anything personal at all. I think the writing had been on the wall since the trade happened. Is where is there room for Daniel Tice to play? And there hasn't been any spot for him. And I feel for the guy because, look, we've talked about it. What he was coming off of in FIBA, he's riding high. It's like you would think that would equate to more playing time. But if TJ McConnell was out of the rotation, Daniel Tice is most definitely out of the rotation. So I think at that point, you know, I believe, you know, our friend, friend of the show, Keith Smith, Spot Track reported that Tice gave up about $2.2 million in the buyout. So I think that the Pacers actually, it saved them some money. They have an open roster spot. And I think there was no path for Daniel Tice to find playing time unless it unfortunately came due to an injury to, you know, uh, one of the centers. And you never want to see that to happen. So Mm. open roster spot, it creates a lot of potential. I don't think the Pacers should rush to fill it. I think they should, I think they should wait a little bit because whoever comes on for that extra roster spot, they're not getting on the court either right now, either right now. So I think be patient with it. Yeah, that's that's a smart thing for me, uh, for the Pacers to do, I think. You know, they could bring back George Hill, James Johnson, like either one of those would be fine on this roster, but they're not doing anything besides being a veteran. And I think part of the exactly. reason why they didn't bring them back was because they wanted other guys to step up mm-hmm. to be more vocal leaders. So we'll see what happens there. I know that there's been a lot of buzz around maybe TJ Warren. Someone tweeted at him. I think it was our good friend young Simba yep. tweeted at him and, and TJ liked it. He, he did. That was cool to see. I, I just, I just don't really see bit. like, would TJ want to be the 15th man on the roster? I don't it, think so. So much has changed since like bubble Warren and being our leading scorer. It's like, do you want to see TJ Warren just potentially riding the bench? That would hurt us. Yeah, then of course, you know, Pacer nation. Yeah, that's one TJ I'm ruling out. TJ Leaf is not coming back. The Leaf has not turned. All right. Ring center? I can't do it. I can't do it. (laughs) But at this point, you you got the the smaller crowd this time around saying, what about Lance? It's like, I hope this, look, love me some Lance. I would love that. Yeah, look, it'd be fun. It'd be a blast. I don't expect it to be Lance at this point. But, you know, we, we wouldn't be mad about it. But I, I just no, think I'm, that it is more likely to be a George Hill or someone of that type of situation, even though you still have McConnell on the outside looking in playing that veteran role. I think patience is the key here. Yeah, don't rush into it. You have plenty of options, and you have too many guys on the roster that can't get on the court anyway. So last thing here before we take a quick break, Pacers pick up their second victory in the in-season tournament, taken down. Philadelphia and a very back-and-forth game. A lot of excitement. A lot of people were really looking forward to that one. Uh, definitely missed that energy on the pod for sure. But talk to me about that. You know, we got about three minutes here before we have to wrap this up. No, I'll make it count. Look, that was a win. That was That's how you respond. You're talking about Philly, who had been playing the best basketball in the NBA, I believe, at that point. I think yeah. they were on an eight-game winning streak. Yeah. I mean, they had beat Boston. That's how you respond when a guy like Tyrese Maxey scores 50 points in the previous game. What are you going to do? Are you going to let him get 50 again? Or are you going to do something about it? And I felt the Pacers came out and they absolutely responded. But I feel that they're taking this in-season tournament as serious as can be. They want to win this and make some noise. They're treating this like the playoffs. And so far, I feel that it's working because you're catching Catching the attention of the media. So you and I both tweet out, you got Kevin Garnett talking about us now. More people are starting to talk about the Pacers. And to be able to go 2-0 in the in-season tournament right now, not only is it a lot of fun, but it's showing that the Pacers are winning games that matter. Mm-hmm. And, and those games so far have been the, the most 
meaningful games outside of perhaps Boston, but we've talked about that. No Tyrese. Unfortunately, it takes the wind out of the whole team. Against Philly, they responded. It was great. And I uh, was, you know, my buddy sent me a clip from the Hoop Collective podcast with Brian Winhorst. And they were talking about how Tyrese was just adamant that they did. They only had one TNT game. It's January 23rd, which is mm-hmm. also Tyrese Halliburton's girlfriend's birthday. And yep. they were talking about that. And then it got me thinking, well, yeah, they, they were talking about if he gets to play in the end season tournament, those games are all on national TV. That's true. Yeah. So maybe there is incentive there to like get the Pacers on the map a little bit more. I love with that. Some TNT ESPN potentially games in December. So that could be another reason why besides winning a winning the the first ever in season tournament trophy. I want it. Hey, I put it on one of my I'm, 10 I'm things I want for in. the year. Mm-hmm. 10 goals. I had that on there. We were kind of laughing about it, but I'm serious. I'm like, might as well yeah. win it. Hang the no, banner. True. I, look, we don't hang many banners. We don't hang much from the rafters, jersey numbers, <laughs> nothing. We win that in season tournament. I want to make some noise about it. I want to let everybody know. I might be knocking on doors saying, have you heard about our 2023, you know, Indiana Pacer in season tournament champions? So I want to let everybody know. But also the, the second thing that if I got one last thing to be able to mention before we end this segment, it's Obi Toppin. Obi, that was it. one of the games we were waiting for. 27 points, 12 of 15 shooting. I mean, I just feel like that might have been, I know you talked about it, might have been one of the best games of his career in like a non-April end of the season type of setting. Like he was extremely efficient and there's been those flashes, the 19-point game, the the 27-point game. It's like this man is so talented and it might not be on every night basis that we get to see it, but once he really hits his stride, this Pacers team is going to, be that much more dangerous he looked awesome and it was great to see it was really awesome to see so early birthday present for you obviously i told you on sunday that i had a special birthday song for you but here's the thing we're running out of time okay so i i've got a little bit of more i got more of a a produce side of this song for you so you're gonna have to wait so the podcast is released to hear the song so i'm gonna actually record it without you on here and I'm okay. gonna have music to back it up. Wow, breaking so out all the tricks. Thing. Yeah, I mean, my birthday sucks. It's in the middle of August when nobody's listening to the podcast. I don't get the love that you get every single year during the season. So I, I'll just I be appreciate honest. it. And I love everybody back. I mean, the love that you give me. Look, you know, I want to give it back <laughs> to you guys. So if anyone's ever listened to this, wish me a happy birthday whenever it comes out. I really, really appreciate you. Yeah. So I'm just gonna give everybody a little bit of a teaser here. I told you it's a commercial jingle, right? Very mm-hmm. popular one. Is there somebody that is a bit of a mascot that Fachi looks like, ladies and gentlemen? Oh, my God. I have no idea where you could be going with this. If we put a crown on Fachi's head, does he not look like the guy from Burger King? I do not think so, but we're going to have to find out if anyone's well, we ever might just had have that to find out. other than you. But, um, you know, maybe it's the beard. It's I don't definitely know. definitely the beard. It's got to be the beard, I guess. Um, but, hey, we'll find out. But, Alex, I know you got someone coming on uh, very shortly, so um, should I uh, skedaddle on out of here? Let's let's get Fachi out of here for a quick breather. He's going to go take a little halftime break, and he'll come back to close the show out with us for the Fan of the Week segment. But before we get to Rob Mahoney, hope you guys enjoy this special birthday song for the birthday boy, Michael J. Fachi. All right, everybody, this song is dedicated to the man turning 32 today, Michael J. Fachi. Fachi, 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 avoid the curse of Michael Fachi. 
he's a wizard. He loves pillows, chicken fried rice. He's Fachi. Jermaine is his guy. It's his birthday. Gonna have a heck of a time. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, everybody. Joining us from the ringer.com just wrote an incredible piece on Tyrese Halliburton. It's Rob Mahoney. Rob, thanks so much for joining me. Of course. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It was great to meet you at the Pacers game. We were there for the for the preseason game against the, the Cavaliers, I think it was. And then they played yep. the Wizards. So, you know, some some decent basketball there, but not the upper echelon of basketball like we saw against the Sixers in the no. last couple of games. But uh, yeah, so obviously this piece on Tyrese, it's it's one of those things where we've heard so many great things about Tyrese. But as you begin to talk with individuals about, you know, what Tyrese means to the Pacers, what would you say was the most common response? I think people rave about his care factor, his attention to detail, his unselfishness. Honestly, it's one of those stories where, and I, I, I've written a lot of profiles about a lot of players. Most of the time when you do those interviews, there's a lot being unsaid, right? There's some animosity between players that they know well enough to not talk about, but you can tell that there's something kind of simmering in the background. And I think what was different with Tyrese was as soon as his name came up, as soon as people knew what I was doing there, everyone wanted to talk about him. Everyone wanted to tell their Tyrese story about how he did something for them, about how he made their lives easier. And that, I mean, that's, that's pretty unique in the NBA world to say the least. For sure. And I mean, I know that the front office has been like, super accepting of like letting him kind of have more control of how yeah. things are done. And you talked about that. And so, you know, they, they obviously attractive enough to get a guy like Bruce Brown here. And then mm -hmm. Obi Toppin was looking to come to Indiana, but you know, those are nice pieces. They're not stars. Do you think Halliburton has the ability to kind of draw bigger names, players to a smaller market like Indiana? I think he ultimately does. And, you know, it's one of those things where it doesn't need to be true in all cases, right? His allure, his charisma, what he's going to offer and put on the table does not need to work for everybody. It just needs to work for the right guy. And that's going to be the question is like, can they get the right star that also fits what the team needs? Because this, this team, very, very specific deficiencies right now. Defense, rebounding, specifically size at the four. I'm sure they, you know, they could, they could play that three, two. You could see Miles Turner's future with the team changing or evolving depending on what kinds of pieces they bring in there's there's a lot to work out but the fact that you can have that kind of wish list I think is because of Tyrese Halliburton I think he allows you to dream in that way where you start thinking not of oh can we get a star but can we get the guy we want and that's mm -hmm. a that's a pretty powerful impact to have 
and, and this wasn't part of your article, but I'm just curious, is there a player out there that kind of fits that, you know, mold for who they should go out and maybe try to target for a future, you know, for the future of this team? Yeah, I mean, there's the completely unreasonable reaches, right? You know, like a, like a Tyrese-Giannis pairing would obviously be great, right? So, yeah. so you can aim at as high the league as you want. If you want to bring it down a little bit, I mean, I've I've really liked the Pascal Siakam rumors for a long time. I know that's a different quality of star, but Pascal's an all-NBA level player. I know Pacers fans have been around the block with the thought of him potentially being a part of this team one way or another. But him... Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. I think could be fascinating if that situation ever became available. I think you're thinking about what kinds of four specifically could change the shape of this defense. And one of the things that came up in talking to the front office was the difficulty in finding guys who are fast enough and intuitive enough and can make moves offensively in the way that this offense functions but who also have the defense and rebounding, right? Those are those are such different skill sets. Usually finding mm-hmm. the guy that threads the needle between them, it's it's going to be a bit of a task. You think Pascal can play that style? I think he can definitely play it offensively. And and you see shades of it in Toronto too. You know, they, mm-hmm. they try to play a more democratic offense. Even this year, they're playing so much through Scotty Barnes, so much through the other elements of their offense. And the ball's kind of finding Pascal on the weak side, or now they're posting him up a little bit in Toronto there too to kind of play to some of his strengths against smaller matchups. You can see end-to-end how he would be a great fit. And defensively, he can be a very high-level defender. The problem is he's not a defensive player of the year caliber guy who's going to prop up your whole defense. So if if Pascal is the star or a player of his caliber is the star that the Pacers are going to get, they're going to have to holistically get better defensively too. Yeah, and that's the thing. The the defense has been terrible. (laughs) It's it's one of those things where it's like you can't deny it, but they've been so good offensively that they've been able to kind of like look past it a little bit this season just because their offense has been so dynamic. And then, you know, Bruce Brown, I think, has been pretty good defensively for this Pacers team so far. But I kind of want to touch on Obi Toppin because he was brought in here. He had his best game of his Pacers career, maybe even his entire career against the Sixers, Mm -hmm. going 12 of 15, 27 points, like just really impactful in that game. And I thought his speed and athleticism really hurt the slow-footedness of the 76ers, specifically in B when they went to that small ball lineup. But do you think there's any path for Obi Toppin to kind of just grab that position, that starting position, you know, and and become that guy. I mean, obviously it's early right now, but instead of maybe making a trade for Pascal, is there a path where you could see maybe Obi just developing and becoming that guy? I think absolutely so, right? When you think about what makes Pascal Siakam effective, Obi Toppin has a lot of the same characteristics, you know, his ability to handle, his ability to attack face up on the move. And now he's, you know, starting to kind of flesh out his ability to shoot the three too, which is something that's kind of come and gone for Pascal over the years, depending on when, what year you catch him. The differences are on defense. The differences are in playmaking. But I think you can shape the rest of the roster in terms of what the Pacers have in ways that, you know, the the passing isn't so important. Like, as long as he can make simple passes to the next guy, that's going to work well enough. The question and the big question that the Pacers are asking and really endeavoring to to work on is, like, can we make this guy a high-level rebounder? Can Mm -hmm. we make him rebound and defend up to his level of athleticism? And there's some indications of progress there, but it's it's a longer road. There's no doubt about it. Like, Obi Toppin has never been that guy historically. He will be the first one to tell you that. So I think how those, like, here's one thing. The Pacers have historically have a lot of success taking in players who do not have defensive reputations and making them into good defenders. Doug McDermott, Bojan Bogdanovic, like different body types and player types but changing the level of professionalism and accountability on defense in ways that makes them solid professional defenders. And if they can get Obi to that level, 
in addition to, as you're saying, the dynamism he can bring to the table offensively, that that would be a world of difference and change for that lineup. Yeah, and I mean, I'm excited to see what Obi does because it seems like he wants to be here. It seems like Ty is the perfect point guard for him in the style he wants to play, and we're just kind of seeing him evolve, and we'll see how that plays out because it's an interesting dynamic with how the offense is set up, and so many guys that can put up points on this team. It's like a different guy every other night is the second you know, best score for the Pacers behind Tyrese. It's never been a consistent person from game to game. So that is one thing that I think they're going to have to eventually address. But uh, this style of play, I wanted to ask you about this too, because it, it just all comes together, but it's really good for the regular season. But is this something that can be sustainable come playoff time, this style of play? 100%. I think it depends on what players you have, but the way the Pacers play in terms of wanting to play a more random reactive style, play, basically the difference in playing out of concepts versus playing out of sets, right? We have a certain spacing we like. We have certain actions we like. You know, I'm sure all Pacers fans now are familiar with like the blur screens the Buddy Heald will set moving across the floor, right? It happens all the time in Pacers games for a reason. It's just like an action they like. But there's not like a pre-scripted set all the time to create that action. And that kind of rhythm of we're just kind of flowing between our guys, we're, we're going through these actions that we've kind of installed and know the patterns of, that's not different from what the Warriors have done historically to win championships. It's not different from what the Mavericks did under Rick Carlisle to win a championship given in 2011, a long time ago, different, different league at that point in time, but all, all great teams have to do this at some level. I think if you're, if your offense is too systematized, too scoutable, that's when you become predictable. But if you have a talented enough group and you play this intuitively, to me, that's a recipe for success. If the Pacers do fail, it won't be a matter of the style of play failing. It'll be a matter of, oh, we don't necessarily have the level of overwhelming talent that we need to compete with Boston and potentially Milwaukee if they get their stuff together. Philadelphia in a playoff setting. You know, Denver, if, you, if you're if you lucky enough to ever make it that far, right? These are teams that are not just well-coordinated, but incredibly talented across mm-hmm. the board and that's kind of where the Pacers are, are staring down some of their specific deficits right now yeah for sure and I mean you talked to the front office what was kind of their I guess what did you kind of learn from them when you talk with them about maybe Tyrese but just the way they want to go about building this thing I think Tyrese has caught them a little bit by surprise over the last year in terms of the way he's accelerated the timeline and you know in knowing that he was immensely talented that they wanted to build around him but in going from that partial season after the tr- trade through last year, especially you know before he got hurt and that kind of proof of concept that the team had, I think it changed a lot of their plans in terms of how they were looking at the next two to three years of Pacers basketball. And so to accelerate that at the same time that they are kind of, you know, a- as they've done publicly too, pumping the brakes as far as expectations around this team go, I think they are very cautious about wanting to see this team take all the necessary steps right before we start talking about playoffs like let's get in the play-in range let's prove that at the end of the season we can be a winning team let's show professional defensive habits right at a level that even if we are the best offense in the league uh can be like give us something to build on and that's where i think that that two game series against the sixers is incredibly informative about like what kind of team this is because the differences you saw in the Pacers' execution level on defense from the first game to the second game, just efforts in digging down, the way they approached guarding Joel Embiid. That's the difference between a fun young team that wins sometimes to a consistent winner. And we're starting to see that in Indiana now. 
And I think you're seeing Rick Carlisle's hand all over this Pacers team in terms of how they've developed and the coaching staff he's assembled. What what did you learn from Rick Carlisle in your conversations with him, maybe being at practice, that kind of stuff? Like, yeah. What did you learn from Rick and, and his relationship with Ty and the rest of the coaching staff? I mean, he's it, you can tell with Rick Carlisle pretty quickly whether a player is like to his tastes or not. And you can see it in the way he plays them, the rotation patterns, certain guys – you know, historically will kind of get shoved to the side or put in the doghouse or their minutes will be drastically reduced. And on the other side of that, you can see a glow when he is invested in someone the way he's invested in Tyrese Halliburton and as invested in a lot of members of this team, to be honest. Like, I think he he genuinely loves the impact of what Buddy Heald brings to the table, of what Miles Turner brings to the table, of what Bruce Brown brings to this table on both sides of the ball. And I think what's interesting with him is the way his coaching has kind of changed over time. To, to, you know, take his, his hands off the controls a little bit, letting elite playmakers like Tyrese take more responsibility. And that's been a, a long road to get to that point for a guy who historically has been one of the best in the league at drawing up plays. And so mm-hmm. that he has kind of shifted more and more of that responsibility over time, whether it was initially to Jason Kidd, later to Luka Doncic, now to Tyrese Halliburton, right? I think there's, he, he always has an interesting relationships with his point guards and, Tyrese too, I, like one thing that he said that didn't make it into the piece was that t- for Tyrese, a point guard is like always a reflection of their coach, right? A, a reflection of their coach's priorities and philosophies. And the fact that those two guys are on the same page about how the Pacers should be playing and that that style has been as successful as it's been early in the season, I think it means all the world in terms of the ultimate trajectory of this team. For sure. And I mean, you kind of brought it up. I wanted to ask you about that. Was, was there anything that you didn't put in the article that maybe was worth sharing that you got from just having conversations with with the team and stuff like that? Honestly, there's there's so much. Uh, you may not know it if you read this article, because I know it's a it's a long form read. <laughs> it's it's gonna take a chunk out of your day. I appreciate everyone who's checked it out. But it's one of those things where there's so much depth around so many of these little areas of the team that you could like the whole story could have been about Tyrese Halliburton learning to balance scoring and playmaking, right? About coming into the league as such a pass-first guy and getting a real team of your own for the first time in Indiana and having to navigate that balance. And he he's had so many of these kind of formative games. You know, last season there was that kind of not quite two-game sequence like this one with the Sixers, but they played the Heat in close succession. I think he was held to like one basket the first time they met in December and then popped off for 40-something in the second one. Um, and there's there's so many of these little episodes throughout his career to this point where he's learning about how to be more of a scorer, when he's supposed to be more of a scorer. And some of that is endeavoring to do that on his own, some of it's the nudging from teammates, from the coaching staff. I think everyone is aligned in the fact that this team can only be really successful if Tyrese Halliburton is your almost your first line of attack in some cases. Like the defense has to know and respect him as a really credible scoring threat. And that's, I think, why you see him have games like he did against Philly, have games like you know, quarters like he did against Charlotte, right? These are kind of illustrative of a new and more evolved Tyrese Halliburton. And again, that's just like one element of the story that could have been a whole story. And so there's there's shades of versions of that across all these different themes and ideas that we touch in the, in the feature. But this is a big franchise spanning kind of figure. Like what Tyrese Halliburton does on an individual level dictates a lot of what the Pacers do. Yeah, he definitely is the engine that gets this car going. And I think 
when you hear people say like i think heart and soul is kind of like a cliche saying because you hear a lot of people refer to like players like that sure. i mean chad buchanan in the offseason referred i think to tj mcconnell as the heart and soul of the team i'm like okay let's pump the brakes i don't think it's tj mcconnell as much as we like him and he's very important to this team the heart and soul of the team is tyrese halliburton uh because it doesn't go anywhere without him so you know He's a really fun player to watch. Obviously, we could, we could talk about him for days. It's just because of the way he involves so many people. Like, I think I looked it up today. He's responsible for 301 points the Pacers have scored this year from his assisting. Like, just out of this world. And the only time he's not been a double-digit assist was when he played 27 minutes against the Spurs when they won by, like, 41 points. So, yeah, he's just been at another level this year, shooting the ball incredibly well. All-NBA guy, but people just can't say enough great things about him off the court. And I know a lot of that comes from his dad, John, who is so fun to just kind of watch during a Pacer game. He's getting into it. I was at that Bucks game sitting courtside, mm. and he was to the left of me. And I and I looked up, and after the Pacers ended up getting that win, he looks back at the front office guys, Kevin Pritchard, Chad Buchanan, and just gives him a fist bump and just like, all right, we got that win, you know, and they're giving it back to him. But in your conversations with John, how do you think the way he, him and his wife kind of raised Tyrese has kind of molded him into the player that he is today and person? Yeah, I mean, there's a straight line, right? I think there's some people who are like that, where you meet their parents and you can see a little bit of a little bit of one parent, a little bit of the other, and how like how they form together. And you can absolutely say that with with Tyrese and John, in particular, I would say, like his the positivity, the unselfishness, the way he sees the game. I think in a lot of ways is informed by his dad. But even if you if if you just did nothing but follow John around the arena for a whole game. I think you would see a shadow of Tyrese, right? Like he almost is to the players, parents, and families what Tyrese is to the team. Mm. Like he is welcoming and inviting and coordinating and empowering of those people, like making them feel important, making the parents of the players feel like, you know what, you were kind of the reason why we're all here, right? The fact, you know, because your your son is a member of this team, like you made this possible as much as anybody. And the fact that he, you know, I, I think there's a lot of parents of players who just kind of come to the game, they show up, they cheer, they have a good time, they leave. Nothing wrong with that at all. Just like there's nothing wrong with a star player of a team coming, having a very professional approach, doing their job, punching in, punching out, leaving. That works for a lot of guys. But I think what makes the Halliburtons different is they just do not operate that way. And Tyrese, there's no question about it, gets it from John. That That's great to hear because this is the guy that's going to be around the team for a long time to come. And so if you can just constantly build relationships on and off the court with not just the players, like you're saying, but the families, it's going to make this environment a very, you know, attractive place to come. So for sure, for a small market, you definitely need something like that. And being raised in a small market, I know Tyrese always talks about that. He has a greater appreciation for playing in a small market. Obviously, He's aware this team only has one nationally televised game in in January against the Celtics, but that's going to change. That's going to change by the in way. In season I, tournament, well, in season tournament for one, but like if there is any team that's a flex candidate, right, yeah. to flex out one of these TNT Thursday night games when you know somebody's hurt on another like more more of a national darling team, the Pacers are going to be the first call if they're on the schedule for a lot of those occasions. Yeah, I mean the game they had against the Bucks. NBA TV, I think that's the only game that was being aired that night. People were talking about him because of the way yeah. they handled everything. And obviously Giannis had 54, so that was kind of the lead storyline. But the Pacers still got the victory, right? And that's a game where you saw Tyrese and, and Ben Mather kind of take over that game in the fourth quarter and just close it out. But when talking to the players, this is kind of my last question here for you. When talking to the players, was there maybe something a player said that really stood out to you about their relationship with Ty or 
what made them love playing with Ty or something like that? I mean, the first things that come to mind for me are are from Buddy, just because he and Tyrese are so close. Mm-hmm. And it's always interesting in, in these sorts of interviews, again, when you're asking, when you're doing a profile on a specific player and you're asking the teammates about them, um, sometimes, again, it's just very cursory answers, but there's moments in interviews like this one with Buddy where it's just like it veers into very, very like very sentimental territory. Like you can tell that this is, that Tyrese is someone who means, means something to him, like means mm-hmm. a lot to him in a way that goes beyond basketball, in a way that goes beyond this is the guy who delivers the ball to me. Like, Buddy is a, a fountain of enthusiasm, a hilarious interview, just like, oh, completely over the top at all times. Yes. <laughs> and for that guy to bring it all the way down for a second and it, and just be completely real and transparent about the ways in which he feels like Tyrese serves and helps and and like empowers him and what that means to him, like that's not something that I I take particularly lightly. Like again, I've done enough of these interviews to know like when someone is is gassing a guy up just to gas a guy up, and when everything is kind of falling away and we're getting to something real here. And I I mean, Buddy for sure had that kind of impact, but you could tell in in Miles Turner the relief of like Ty's impact on the court of like having that kind of playmaker for the first time in his career and what it's meant to him. Obviously, coming off a career season last year. But you could tell almost across the board, like TJ McConnell talking about Tyrese Halliburton, there's just like a different energy in, in in discussing like the impact he has on a game where I may not even be asking about Halliburton specifically. I'm just asking about the team. And everyone is naturally bringing up all these ways in which he's doing the smallest of things or the biggest of things, or sometimes they're one in the same to facilitate the growth of everyone else. 23 years old. It's crazy to think how much of an impact Same. he's having on a franchise like this. So it's great to see, obviously, Pacer fans were ecstatic when they saw that he got the extension. It looks like he might even be getting $260 million the way he's playing this year. <laughs> might be. Uh, last question for you as I wrap as we wrap this up. And once again, I want to thank you for your time. I know you're busy doing a lot of work over at the Ringer. Do a great job. But nice. this Pacers team, obviously 7-4, and four, can mm. they keep this up? Do you think this is a team that can legitimately be a top five, top six uh, team in the Eastern Conference? Yeah, I think so. And some of it, you know, admittedly, there's some opening here, right? There's some teams that, like Milwaukee, is underperforming at the moment. Miami, as we know all too well, could end up anywhere in the standings, could be a, lo- a rock-solid top-six team, or they could be in the play-in again. So I think there's an opening here for the Pacers to to really get some solid ground. And they may be more on, like, the 5-6 into that spectrum mm-hmm. when all is said and done versus I know they've been hovering around mostly, mostly in the third-place spot so far this season. That seems a little ambitious, and we'll see kind of how that changes over the course of the season. Obviously, if someone like Halliburton or Turner or someone who's kind of at a more instrumental spot gets hurt, uh, they, they could fall in the standings pretty easily. But I think what's working in the Pacers' favor is they're so deep relative to some of these other teams in the East. A lot of credible options to plug and play. And if anything, you know, in a story like this one, again, I, I wrote a gigantic story about Tyrese Halliburton and the Pacers, and it's like I, I want to find more time to talk about Aaron Neesmith and Jalen Smith and Andrew Nemhart, like these guys who are really important to the ecosystem that the Pacers are building and certainly to the, the construction of their lineups and their rotation didn't quite fit into all the parameters of this story as much as I would like it to. But those guys and specifically Neesmith and Smith's development, I think gives the Pacers such a nice safety net as mm-hmm. they navigate the course of this regular season, right? They're, they're just in a different place than some of the other high level teams in the East in terms of how they could potentially withstand an injury or, you know, just even if it's something minor for the course of a week or two, uh, just how they navigate those situations. I think Indiana is going to be pretty well positioned. 
strength in numbers has been kind of the thing here for this Pacers team as they kind of went into the season, just knowing there's guys like, you know, Daniel Tice couldn't even find minutes yeah. with this team as a four string center had to come to a buyout agreement with him the last couple of days. And then TJ McConnell, a guy that is kind of on the outside looking in a little bit, getting some playing time here and there. And uh, he's really good too. So if you do have a point guard situation where a guy goes down, Nimhart obviously got that experience last year. McConnell's been that person. So you're, you're right on. I mean, they do have yeah. the depth that a lot of teams don't have. And it, it's what also helps them if they don't have that second star is you just never know. Is Buddy going to come in off the bench and get 20, 25 points? Neesmith do the same thing. And they just have so many different options with this roster. It's like you're not trying to be a homer at all, but it just feels pretty good because they do have the depth that you're talking about. For sure. And this was another thing that there wasn't quite room for in the story. But as far as like what does Tyrese Halliburton as the star of a team allow his team to do that other teams can't? I think by the nature of how he empowers other people and checks in with other people, and it's it's people up and down the roster, right? It's guys, it's his fellow starters, and it's the guys at the end of the bench and the two-way players who aren't getting time, right? He's investing in everybody. And it's putting a lot on his shoulders to expect this of him, but I think you can carry a deeper roster where, where guys like T.J. McConnell aren't getting playing time on a consistent basis, for example, when Tyrese has that kind of outreach, when the vibes around the team are this good and this positive. And it just, it makes it so you can have a more talented top to bottom group, but also where you can have a mix on the bench of, you know, a rookie in Jairus Walker who like literally is not playing in a lot of these games. And then your veterans like McConnell as well, who, I mean, to our, our conversation about like what happens if Tyrese Halliburton gets injured, it would not shock me at all if they keep Andrew Nemhard coming off the bench in that situation and start McConnell. And the mm -hmm. reason TJ McConnell is ready is because, I mean, that guy's a consummate pro, but also because he's been involved and engaged in the team up until that point, because that's the kind of operation that Indiana has right now. Mm -hmm. And that's a great point. So, Rob, you did a great job. Story was amazing. Um, I encourage everybody to take some time to read it. It took me and my entire lunch to read it when it came out, but I was <laughs> I was excited to read it. I was like, I can't wait to see what all was in this. And it was just a lot of good stuff. And so want to go ahead and give you this opportunity to kind of let people know where they can find you at and anything that you'd like to plug. Well, thanks, Alex. And I, I appreciate you sharing your lunch with me on that day. <laughs> but yeah, Anytime. I mean, just check out our stuff at TheRinger.com. You can hear me on a podcast every week on the Ringer NBA show feed. So come check out our stuff and certainly come check out this read on Tyrese Halbert. Absolutely, guys. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break. When we come back, we will have our Fan of the Week segment here on Setting the Pace. We'll be right back after this. Hey, Pacer fans. Alex Golden here. I wanted to let you know about my new blog, The Blue and Golden. If you enjoy reading articles about the Pacers, then subscribe to my Substack, which is 100% free. You can find the blog at thebluenandgolden.substack.com, or you can follow the link in the description of this podcast. If you enjoy what you're reading on The Blue and Golden, please share the blog with your family and friends. Thanks for your support of not only this podcast, but my written work that can only be found on thebluenandgolden.substack.com. Now, let's get back to the show. Ripple Bagel and Deli is the home of Indy's original steamed bagel sandwich. It's located in the heart of Broad Ripple, and they're family-owned and operated, proudly serving their customers for over 20 years. They pride themselves on quick casual dining with over 100 different steamed bagel sandwich options, it truly is a staple in Indianapolis, and a can't-miss breakfast and lunch spot. Ripple Bagel and Deli offers a great friends and family atmosphere where you're always welcome to dine in and be a part of the family, or feel free to bypass any way by conveniently ordering and paying for carryout ahead of time at RippleBagelDeli.com. Ripple Bagel and Deli also offers best-in-class catering anytime, 
anywhere with a long list of customers ranging anywhere from law firms to drug reps to several different sports-related clients, including Butler, IUPUI, the Indianapolis Colts, and several visiting NFL teams. They pride themselves on their ability to satisfy all of your catering needs, no matter the occasion or event, and will customize your order, provide competitive pricing, and always deliver on time. Ripple Bagel Deli, the home of Indy's original steamed bagel sandwich. All right, everybody joining us now for our Fans of the Week segment brought to you by Ripple Bagel and Deli. You got to go there and try out the Setting the Pace sandwich if you haven't already because it is killer. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, you got to try it out. But we've got Alex. We got Jeffrey. We're excited here to play some trivia and get to know these guys a little bit better. But Alex, since you've got the best name of the two, I have to ask you, man, what made you become a Pacer fan? So it all started, my brother was a Bulls fan back in the 90s. And obviously, Michael Jordan fan. Um, back then, 1998, Bulls versus Pacers playoffs. I became a Pacers fan just because I wanted to go against my brother. I'm like, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah. it grew from there. And you know, I was in Puerto Rico, so not a lot of we didn't have that much access to Pacers content back then. Uh, mm-hmm. It wasn't until 2003, 2004 that I was able to get, get league pass and, and watch the full season of Pacers basketball. And, you know, I ended up one year moving to Indianapolis just to be a season ticket holder. And I Amazing. managed to sit in Area 55 for one season, cool. uh, which was fantastic. And I, unfortunately, I had to move back to Puerto Rico, but I'm in Illinois now, so I'm closer so I can travel for some games. But yeah, I became a Pacers fan out of spite to my brother and never, never looked back. I love it. That that is some awesome dedication. What Alex was mentioning is, you know, I grew up in New York. Everyone around me was Knicks fans. I gravitated towards the Pacers. They were, you know, the rival, you know, for for quite a long time. So I I love your background. And, uh, you know, we appreciate you going through all those hoops to be able to keep up with the Pacers when that content was not as accessible. But for Jeff, we'd love to hear about for you. Tell me about maybe what's what made you a Pacer fan? What's some of your earliest memories of the team? Well, my grandparents were season ticket holders way back in the ABA wow. days. And um, so I would go to games with them. I would watch all the games with them. So my earliest memories of uh, are of like the Reggie, Rick, Derek McKee teams. And um, I've just been following them really hard ever since. That's great. That's great stuff. So, I mean, ABA days, I don't think we've had any fans really come on and talk about the ABA days either. So, uh, we need to dive more into that. So today we're going to play some trivia with Alex and Jeffrey. The categories for this week are Benedict Matherin, the Monte Ellis era, and the brawl. We're coming upon the, what is it, 19th year anniversary of the brawl. So next year's 20 years. Crazy to think about that. But uh, we're going to start things off with Benedict Matherin. So Alex, I'll give you the choice. Do you want me to ask you or Fachi to ask you the first question? Uh, let's give it to the guy with the coolest name here. To you, Alex. Mm, I like Unfortunately it. Unfortunately, not me. This is the first time we've done trivia where they haven't picked Fachi, so this makes me feel good. Uh, all right, so your question for me. Benedict Matherin's career high of 32 points came against which team in October of 2022? Your uh, your choices. A, Atlanta, B, Detroit, C, Brooklyn, or D, Denver? Do you want a hint? Let's take the hint. All right, this team uh, plays in the Atlantic Division. Can you give me the the options again? Yeah, we got the Atlanta Hawks, the the Detroit Pistons, the Brooklyn Nets, and the Denver Nuggets. I'm gonna see the Hawks. The Hawks. Final answer. Yep. 
That is incorrect. It was the Brooklyn Nets, the only team in the Atlantic Division. The Atlanta Hawks are in the Southeast Division. Detroit's in the Central Division. And I think Denver, I, are they Southwest? I believe I so. That's right. Okay. So, Alex, I'm, I hate to say it, but you missed the first one. So, Fachi, you're up. All right. So, this question's for Jeff. Stick it on the Benedict Matherin, um, you know, category. Benedict Matherin moved from Canada to play in the NBA Academy before he went to college at Arizona. What country did Matherin move to? Now, here are the choices. Choice A, Mexico. Choice B, the Bahamas. Choice C, Jamaica. And choice D, Nicaragua. Now, there is a hint for this. Um. Okay, I'll take the hint. It is a country in North America, not Canada or the USA. Uh, Mexico. So your final answer. Yes. That is correct. Nice, nice. I will say this. To be fair, all four of those countries are in North America. Too. <laughs> <laughs> but that kind of like directed it towards that way because Mexico just feels bigger. Well, hey, all right. After one round, we have Jeff leading one to nothing. But, you know, Alex, let's see what you can do in the next category. All right. It's Monte Ellis. Do you want me to ask you or Fachi to ask you? Uh, let's go Fachi this time. All right. You might want to switch it up, get a little bit of, you know, good luck. You know, charm over there. Fachi hey, curse. it might have been the name. It might have been the Alex curse. I don't know. We'll find I mean, out. Can you say good luck in the Monte Ellis era in the same, in the same <laughs> sentence? Uh? That, is a, that is a great, <laughs> you know, point right over there. So I love um, that. For this question, what year did the Pacers sign Monte Ellis in free agency? There are four choices. Choice A, 2014. Choice B, 2016. Choice C, 2015. Or choice D, 2013. Now remember, there is a hint. 16. Do you want it before the hint? We need to give him the hint, I think. That'd be a good idea. So the hint is Obama was in the final two years of his presidency. I'll say 16. I'll stick with it. All right. Final answer. Yep. That is incorrect. So the answer is 2015. Choice C. So, Man, Alex, you shouldn't have I switched. Was, I, was, I was confident in that one. <laughs> <laughs> You're very confident. But I, I, I tried giving right. you a hint by saying maybe we should read the hint. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. okay, we'll see if Jeff can uh, take a 2-0 lead here and, and pretty much pull away with this one. So, Jeff. We're sticking with Monte Ellis. All right. All right. The question How many years did Monte Ellis sign that free agency contract for with the Pacers? How long was that contract? Um, was it A, three years, B, four years, C, a one year deal, or D, a two year deal? Do you want a hint? Uh, I'll take the hint. I know he played longer or he played shorter than the contract was. So, okay. Uh, the hint is. This was former Pacers guard Dwayne Washington Jr.'s jersey number. Uh, let's go four years. Final answer? Yes. That is correct. It was a four-year deal for $44 million, $11 million a year. Seems like nothing now, but back then that felt like a lot of money. Larry Bird was pulling out all the cash the Pacers had to bring in Monte Ellis from Rick Carlisle's Dallas Mavericks. So, you know, uh, Jeff is up 2-0. He's clinched the victory for this one. But we're going to go ahead and do a final round and just talk about the brawl here for a quick second. So, uh, Alex, we'll go back to you first. Would you like me to ask the question or Fachi? Let's go back to you, Alex. All right. 
After the brawl and suspensions were handed out, the Pacers played a game with just six players on the roster. They lost 86-83 to to Orlando. Who was the leading scorer for the Pacers in that game with 31 points? Fred Jones. Whoa. <laughs> didn't even need multiple choice. So, okay, there we go. So you got on the board, Alex. You, you didn't go out with a, a sweep of not getting any, so Respect. that's great. Uh, Jeff, Fachi will ask you the last question. Yep. So first of all, you know, Alex, great, great over there. Not even you, the choices, love the confidence. Uh, Jeff, th- for this question, stick it on the brawl. Ron Artest was suspended for the rest of the season after the brawl happened. How many regular season games in total did Ron get suspended for? Choice A, 50 games. Choice B, 60 games. Choice C, 55 games. Or choice D, 73 games. Uh, D, 73 games. Final answer? Yes. That is correct. Jeff going three for three. You got to love it, Jeff. You got to feel pretty confident about your odds in this tournament overall. I don't know. Maybe we have had someone go to clean sweep, but Jeff, this this is a very convincing three for three. So I want to give you credit for that. Thank you. Thank you. I'm pretty pumped about it. And Alex, you, you absolutely finished strong over there with the Fred Jones not needing the choices. That was the way to go out. You don't want to go out over three. So solid redemption over there. It's the way to go. <laughs> so I will say this. Now we do have our final four for our first, you know, battle of the champions. So we're going to have to do that in two weeks. Obviously, next week is Thanksgiving. So there will be no fan of the week segment where we do trivia and stuff like that the, the next week. But the first week of December. We're going to have back on Jeff. We're going to have on Tyler. We're going to have on Caleb. And we're going to have on James. So we got four guys going head-to-head for the championship. It's going to be a little bit different. You all four will be competing against each other uh, you know, in a, a four-round matchup. So that'll be interesting. But congratulations. I think right now you've got to be the odds-on favorite to win based on how you answer those questions so confidently. And I, I feel like you could even, even have done them without the hints. Well, I, I think so. Probably. You know, if there was bonus points, Jeff, I wanted to give you credit for the set pointing out Montellus played shorter than the contract. Yes. So you don't want to say, well, two years or anything like that, because the Pacers did wave and stretch Montellus. So, you know, great uh, referencing that. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So, Fachi, the fun fact, though, about that Ron Artest question, he ended up missing 86 total games. Because mm-hmm. he was also suspended for the 13 games that they had in the playoffs, too. So that was a big blow to the Pacers. Really feel like that team would have been a lot different had they been able to maintain that that team and probably win a championship. They beat Boston in the first round that year, ended up losing to Detroit, I believe, in six games. But I just remember it was like there was that kind of hesitancy of like, well, maybe they'll let Ron play in the playoffs. And I remember it looking back now, that's obviously ridiculous, but I think that was maybe just the inner Pacer fan hoping that, you know, they'll allow him to play in the playoffs would have been great, but we know how it went down. Just unfortunate, but um, yeah, that's, that's the tough part of reflecting on the past. Yeah. And let's go to Jeff here because you talked about, you know, your family has been fans since the ABA days. How did you feel after the brawl happened? Did it kind of, turn you off a little bit to the Pacers or were you still pretty faithful to rooting for that team? I was pretty faithful, um, but it it was definitely gut-wrenching because that was, I feel like that was the championship team right there. And, um, 
you know, that, that was the year for Reggie. Yeah. Alex, how'd you feel about the brawl? I was really young, so I was pretty ignorant back then. <laughs> um, it's, you know, just like Jeff said, I felt like that was the year. Um, it hurt that Reggie didn't get his title. Um, I think I remember in the playoff, Jermaine O'Neal wrote on his shoe for Reggie Miller, something like that, during that playoffs run. And Reggie went off with a bang with 27 points that last game against the Pistons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it was gut-wrenching. And then watching it on TV back to back to back to back on ESPN, like uh, you didn't want to forget about it. It was it was horrible. But, you know, I know. 20 hey. years ago. It, it, 20 years ago still hurts, but at the same point, we're, we're looking forward to, uh, I don't want to say the next 20 years because we want to live in the present now. Yeah. Things are looking pretty good with this team. I'm really excited. You know, before we, before we sign off each of us, you know, Jeff, Alex, you know, what are your thoughts on this current team? What we're watching, how excited it's been despite even being an early season. I mean, Jeff, what's your thoughts on this current squad? Man, I'm I'm so excited to watch every night that they play. I even got my wife watching. She's excited about it. And she's into it. So Love it. Uh, yeah, I'm just real pumped about this team. I think we can um, you know, get a, a top five seed maybe and um make a little bit of noise in the playoffs. Alex, what about you? Well, I think I need to Jeff to tell me how he got his wife to become a Pacers fan, first of all. <laughs> um and second, um, I would say Watching Tyrese Harburn play basketball, it's beautiful. It's just it so beautiful. It, it, we've never had someone like him before, uh, at least in my lifetime. No. Um, I honestly, I can see them going top four in the East. Mm. That would be amazing. But, I mean, hey, guys, I'm I'm willing to settle anywhere in between a six seed. You know, hey, you're, you avoid the play-in. Or even if we just made the play-in, it's a solid step forward. Yeah. But I think that we're all – all on board that at this point it would feel like a disappointment if we didn't see this Pacers team in the playoffs in some capacity because they have been so entertaining to watch. Their offense is elite, and yes, they have a long way to go defensively. This might not be the year to you know flip the switch on from night night to day, yeah. but we're taking the right steps in the right direction, and it feels like we can win any night this year. That's a different feeling than what we felt the last few years. I mean, winning is fun. But going through those growing pains is also fun. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah. uh, guys, I think we finally found our franchise player in Tyrese Halliburton, the guy that can make just about everybody better. So we don't have to rely on one or two players each night. It feels like we've had guys step up because they're being put in the right positions to succeed. So I feel that this is a great step forward for this team. Might not happen, you know, in one quick year to, to make that noise. But I think little by little, week by week, we're starting to hear more people talk about the Pacers. And I think that that is something that we haven't had the last few years. And I look forward to that catching on a bit more. So final predictions for for you guys. Uh, I know, uh, Jeff, you were saying maybe the fifth seed. And I think, Alex, you were saying the fourth seed. I'll lock it in, fourth seed. All right. Well, I look forward to checking back in on that. And, uh, you know, Jeff, I know we'll be seeing you again soon for the tournament. So, you know, rest up. Get, get some research in, do your studying, because th- this championship, it's going to be going down in a couple of weeks. And, you know, I just checked the odds on favorites, and uh, you're, you're up there. I'm looking forward to it for sure. Put your money on, Jeff, if you're a gambling man, ladies and gentlemen. That's all I got to say. But right now, Fachi Paces are third in the Eastern Conference, first in the Central Division. And if the playoffs were to, were to happen today, the New York Knicks would be our first-round wow. playoff matchup. 
that that's Kyrie's renewing an old Jaylen. rivalry. Yep, I, mm. I think that that would be fun. And I miss having a rival. I feel like the last few years, the Pacers really haven't had a rival. Like in the past, we mentioned Detroit or, or or New York or Chicago. Those were teams that the Pacers could meet, you know, each year it felt like. But, uh, you know, I want to get back to that. And that obviously happens with player movement. But, hey, first step, get back in the playoffs. That's yep. where we're heading. Absolutely, guys. Well, thank you all so much for joining us. You know how we end our shows by Fachi screaming, let's go Pacers. But we're going to set you guys up and let you guys both do it together uh, in unison. So, Alex, Jeff, if you're excited to see the Pacers get another victory against the Orlando Magic on Sunday night, then hit us with those three words. Let's go Pacers. Let's go Pacers. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We going to need a mop. Smooth. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So... At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable. It's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.